Welcome to Entrepreneur Conundrum with Virginia Purnell, where growing entrepreneurs share how they get visible online. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Carl Gould about how he helps businesses grow and expand. Carl Gould is an authority on business growth who advises organizations to get to the next level. With Carl, you get a worldwide leading authority on business and entrepreneurship who built three multi-million dollar businesses by the age of 40. An award-winning coach and mentor created the farthest reaching business mentoring organization in the world. And his methodologies are in practice in 35 countries. He has trained, certified, or accredited over 7,000 business coaches and mentors since 2012. Multi-award winner, including the Stevie Lifetime Achievement Award. The chief growth advisor at Seven Stage Advisors that has mentored the launch of over 5,000 businesses. Some of the companies he's helped are companies like Allstate, American Idol, USA Olympic Track, IBM, McGraw-Hill, and the U.S. Army. Author of multiple books on the subject of business strategy, leadership, and sustainable growth, he has co-authored Blueprint for Success with Stephen R. Covey and Ken Blanchard. And his best-selling book, The Seven Stages of Small Business Success, lays out the formula for hypergrowth. In 2016, BizDev Done Right became the number one bestseller on Amazon. A business keynote speaker, he has delivered more than 12,000 keynote speeches. Carl's dynamic and energetic presentation style has made him one of the most sought-after speakers internationally. He combines practical and impactful content with real-world experience. No theory here. He engages his audience and keeps them on the edge of their seats. Gould's content is original, profound, and battle-tested. He's been in over 100 news and media appearances, over 300 podcast appearances, and he's a lecturer. He visits MIT, Rutgers Business School, and the Wits Business School in Johannesburg. Welcome, Carl. Woo! We made it. <laughs> ah, I think I need yes. a drink. <laughs> Ah, yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun to have you here today. Well, thank um, you. Thank you. Glad to I'm be glad, here. I'm glad you're able to, to have time to be with us today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. So. so how did you kind of get started on this whole entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, you know, I mean, I had my very first job when I was nine years old. I was working almost full time when I was 13. I was actually help, helping support my family at the time and um, from a very big family. But I got my, uh, so as a junior and senior in high school, I was working for a design build landscaping firm. I go away to college, University of Delaware, and I'm studying accounting and finance. In my uh, second year, I broke my leg pretty badly right before Christmas, three days before Christmas. I had to eventually leave school because I didn't, I was paying my own way and, you know, my grants and scholarships ran out because I was out of school for six months. And all of a sudden, all of the loans I took out were due. You know, you leave school for six months and the payments start, right? And so there I was literally laying on my mother's couch, broke money-wise, broken leg, and, uh, and so I needed some way to make money. And so I started my very first entrepreneurial uh, business, uh, which was a my own design build landscaping company uh, out of necessity, really. I wasn't thinking entrepreneurship, although it really was the best path for me. And so there I was, 18 years old, not quite 19. Yeah, I started my first company. 
uh, full on. I was there. I was. Uh, I was a full time design build landscape installation firm. I had that business for seven years before I sold it. That's so cool. What did you decide to do? Like, was it tricky to kind of know like your next step, like after you sold it, or were you kind of figuring that out after? I was figuring it out as I went. I mean, my my initial my initial thought was if I can make equal or money that I made uh, as an hourly, you know, wage in my own business, then it would be worth it. Like I wasn't really sure what being in business really meant, but I, um, you know, like what does it mean to be a businessman or an entrepreneur? I was just saying, okay, need to pay my bills. If I go take the job that I had before, I know what I'm going to make per hour. Um, and I figured out how long it would take me to pay my bills back and going back to college. We could forget that. I wasn't going to be able to afford that. So could I make more in my own business? All right. And so I started out and I did, you know, first year, a little bit more, but then that business doubled every year for seven years. And I was like, wow, this entrepreneurship isn't so bad. <laughs> and I found out that the more that I hustled, the better I did. And I realized very early on in the game that you know, my success was coming through hustle, through showing up, through doing my best, like giving, making a promise and doing my best to follow through. And even if I missed, but I tried hard, people were like, okay, you're really working hard. Nobody would have gotten this far, but you did. And so I realized that it wasn't as complicated as I initially thought. And that was pretty straightforward. And um, I was being rewarded for just, you know, being there, showing up, and busting my ass for the for the benefit of the people I was working for. So with what you do now, so your mentoring aspect, right? Um, what yeah. do you, how do you get visible online? Like, how do you get in front of people? Well, on, on what I do now, I mean, just what is my general social media approach? Yes. All right. So. Here's our format for social media. We are on five platforms, five times a day, five days a week, five times, five times, five. And we have a theme for every day. So Monday's Mojo Monday, Trivia Tuesday, Workshop Wednesday, Thinking Thursday, Fun Day Friday. And we post five different things on that theme on five different platforms each day. And that gives people various things to do, engage with the content or or just think about the content or, you know, or I'm sharing what I'm doing this weekend, or there's just some trivia because everyone loves trivia, you know, how many miles from the sun is the earth, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you know, those, those men on the street or women on the street interviews and in social media, like what's the capital of Virginia go, you know, I mean, yeah. so, so, you know, we have stuff like that and people seem to respond to it. Um, I have a micro podcast called the 72nd CEO, meaning 70, 70 seconds, like 101 minute, 10 seconds. And I give a tip every day. Um, so I have a micro podcast that actually, that actually has been very well received. And um, I have my own podcast called the Carl Gould Collective and I appear on others podcasts. And so the, um, I, I try to get my message out as much as possible. I did hire a publicist who uh, arranges for TV print and radio interviews. And so I do a handful of those each, each month. I was on a, I was on a morning show in Philadelphia, as an example, this morning as the, as the uh, business expert, you know, Carl's going to tell us how do we sh shop for those school supplies? You know, I, there are a lot of people that helped me early in my career 
And it was all in all of these various forms. And so and this is my way of paying it forward. I just want to help others. People share their wisdom with me. I want to share mine with them. Hopefully it helps a few people out along the way and contributes to, you know, their world in one way, shape or form. That's cool. I had you have a question though about like your five different platforms that you do. So do you kind of repurpose any of that content? So for example, let's say um this month X goes on Facebook and then in like three months, that same thing will be on Instagram. Right. So we, um, so here's what we do. Little hack, little sneaky trick. There's a website called help a reporter out.com Harrow help a reporter out.com. And what I do is we go on there and these are reporters that are looking for experts to give quote quotes or be a resource or a source for their articles. Well, that entire website is about all of the articles that are coming in the world of journalism, mm-hmm. right? So those are all the cutting edge articles. Like, wow, what is everyone writing about reading today, right? Well, I know because I've got the, and anyone can do it. It's a free service. You just sign up for it. And so what we'll do is we'll go on there. We'll look at what people are writing about and we'll do articles and blogs on, on similar topics, or at least those same themes, and so we'll, um, uh, so I'll write articles. I've got an, uh, a regular, I'm a regular contributor to Forbes.com. So I write an article once a month there. And I also write an article once a month for LinkedIn. And, and so we'll write about what's trending. And then I'll also write about my methodology. So I wrote a methodology called the seven stages of small business success. Uh, it's a growth methodology. It's got seven steps along this growth curve. And there's a whole host of things you need to know about how to grow in sequence the way it's intended. And so we write articles about those two topics. And then what I will do, like I'm doing now, is I will film me being filmed and I will repurpose, you know, one or two minute bits. And so I will be the content as well as create the content. And then, and then what we do is we maintain a 90 day post Um, and we, and our marketing team will decide which one makes the most sense for when, you know, and so the timely stuff for sure, anything we're news hacking, that'll go out right away, you know, and then the timeless stuff, they'll vary a bit based on what they've been posting thus far. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. The it's, it's nice and structured. So it's easy to follow. So if you (laughs) want business wisdom, hang around me on a Monday. (laughs) Right. If you want trivia and facts, Tuesday is your day, you know, and so that's that's the way we do. That's fun. And it's nice because your team should be able to remember everything, too. Right. Sure. Right. And and when it comes to the research and putting it together, it's actually much simpler. Like you say, wow, five times a day, five days, you know, five days a week. Well, that's two hundred and sixty quotes for. Trivia Tuesday. You know, motivational Mojo Monday is motivational quotes for our business, right? So that's 260. So if you type up, if you type in, you know, business wisdom, business motivational quotes, Google will give you a gazillion. You just have to pull 200. You, you get them all at once. So you can pull all those down and, you know, filter through them, you know, and you can, and and it actually makes the, the process of publishing and g- generating content to be much simpler. And batching your content too. Exactly. And batching it. And then they can break it apart later, but they can certainly um, 
certainly it makes it a little bit more efficient on the production side. Yes. So who are your ideal clients? An ideal client for me is a growth-minded CEO, uh, somebody who wants to either double their business or grow by at least a million dollars a year. So if you're a $250,000 a year company, and you're like, I want to get to 500. Great. That's growth minded. That's a big leap. If you're saying, all right, I'm at 500 and I want to be 1.5 million, or I'm at a million and I want to be two, I'm at five and I want to be 10. I'm at 10. I want to be 20. You know, planning your business for growth is a slightly different plan than just sustainability or just profitability. Those are two very, both very noble pursuits, but they are different. So so the growth-minded person tends to be the person who resonates more with what we do. So is there kind of a mistake trend that you kind of see your ideal clients making? Yes. They get they get themselves caught on in a feast and famine cycle where they're marketing and selling and marketing and selling and promising. And they have this big pipeline. And they got all these deals and like, whoa, crap, I've got to deliver on those. So they dive over here into delivery, production, fulfillment, delivery, production, fulfillment. Whew, okay, made it. All right, no pipeline. Marketing, <laughs> selling, networking, right? And they get into this total feast and famine. And the big mistake is you can never stop lead gen no matter what, doesn't matter. Everyone says, well, prioritize. You can prioritize all you want as long as, long as lead gen is in there. Yeah, but I don't want to outsell my ability to fulfill. That's fine as long as you keep marketing and selling. You just, you in business, you have to keep going. You cannot stop. It's your job to fi figure out how to fulfill at the level that you're selling. Sales and marketing will always push fulfillment. That's just a way of life. So if you're waiting for this special day when we can fulfill now, it's never going to happen. You got to, there are two separate tracks. It's like a racehorse. You put a thoroughbred here, you put a thoroughbred there, and you're racing to the finish. Sales is always going to beat fulfillment to the finish line. That's fine. As long as they can keep pace, you got a winning company. Yeah. Cool. So what are some big goals that you're looking to achieve in the next year or two? So for me, I've got a new book coming out called The Obnoxious Offer. Ooh, right. <laughs> so The Obnoxious Offer. So I very early in my career, I made a mistake I'll never make again is I got a referral for a project. It was a really good friend and, and business friend, meaning I did a ton of work for them. And they said, Carl, I, I, got a, I got a friend who's in trouble. I told him all about you. He really wants to work with you. You know, he's under an incredible time pressure. Can you get over there? Look at his building. He needed a contracting project done. Give him a price. He's got to get started. I already told him kind of what you charge. Just go ahead, right? Now, thinking that I told you him what you charge meant he actually knew what I charged. I went ahead, did this whole proposal, and I I dropped it, you know, like in the mail slot under his door, said, I'll see you tomorrow. Bill set this up. I'm Carl, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get to you quick, the whole bit. I'm thinking, boy, aren't I Johnny on the spot? I get to the guy's office the next day, and I walk into his office, and he was like, you have to be effing kidding me. You, your pricing is off the reservation high, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he screamed at me for like 20 minutes and I'm thinking, oh, this is not going well at all. <laughs> I don't think I'm getting this project. And then, and then the whole time he's holding up my proposal, he said, 
your pricing is, he goes, you're a young kid. You can't do business this way. This is obnoxious. You can't, this is obnoxious. I don't care what, how quickly you could do the job or how fast you think you are. This, Carl, this is obnoxious. And he goes, and he goes, then he goes, all right, sit here. Don't move. I'll be right back. And he leaves the room. I'm like, I'm not staying. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> What's going to happen? So he comes right back out. This time he's holding the contract in one hand and a deposit check in the other hand. And he he had the contract was signed. He holds it. He holds them up like this. And he goes, all right, according to this, you could start on Tuesday. This was like Thursday. You could start on Tuesday. Is that right? And you'll be done the following. Is that right? I can rely on that. And I'm like, uh, theoretically, yeah. And he said, like, what do you mean? I said, I'm hiring you right now. You said you want a 50% deposit. I don't write a 50% deposit to anybody. I can't believe I'm doing it here. And then you says you're going to, I'm like, all right, well, if that's a signed contract and that's a deposit, yes. We start on Tuesday. We'll be done next Tuesday. He hands me both. And then he's like, all right, see you then. And then he leaves. I'm sitting in his office. I'm like, <laughs> like, what just happened? Anyway, I take the check. I look at it. Legit. Look at the con- Legit. I walk out and the whole weekend I'm sitting there thinking like, what, wait a minute, what just happened? That was the most adversarial meeting I probably had in my entire life, right? I was recommended by a good friend to a good friend. And you would have thought that I was just introduced to an enemy, but I walked out with the check. I'm like, why would he hire me? You know, based on this. Now the proposal included a premium because he was skipping the line. I was mm-hmm. I was going to work nights, weekends, and bring on extra guys because he had to close on a commercial building by a certain time, or he was going to he was going to get significantly fined, lose a tenant. I mean, there was a lot on the line, and so I charged him a thirty five percent premium to get the job done quicker. Same job, plus thirty five percent. Now mm-hmm. I later learned that he was more upset at himself that he he was in a bind and he had to pay his way out of it, and here's this. 19 year old kid sitting in front of him and and this guy never pays premium for anything okay fair enough i learned that later but in the moment it, i was racking my brain side saying this guy called me obnoxious he wasn't even very nice about it but yet he hired me afterwards so the, I, I did something right like there's something here and i realized that the value of what i was giving them was equally as obnoxious in a good way as the price. He talked about the price, but the reality was he could get nobody else to react as quickly as he did, as I did. And he tried. And I got the job not only started before anyone would get it started, completed before anyone would get it completed. He just didn't like that he had to pay the premium. I said, all right, okay. And it probably did not help that I I dropped the proposal in advance. So I couldn't explain it. Like, I know this is more. Here's why I'm going to pay people, a bunch of guys over time. We're working through a weekend. Guys are canceling vacations. We're doing all of this for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even get the extra because I've got to pay so much in extra fees. It's all going to be eaten up. He would have likely understood that. But all he thought was, is I was taking advantage of the situation. Right. And so uh, from then, from that point forward, every business I ever owned, every business I've ever I've ever advised, we have something we call the obnoxious offer. Now, we don't say it externally like, hey, here's the regular price and the obnoxious one. Like, we don't do that. (laughs) Well, what we do is internally, I ask myself the question each and every time. I'm like, is this obnoxious enough? 
Meaning, are we bringing enough value that whatever our price is, they would say, this is, is fair for what I'm getting, right? A Bugatti car automobile is a million dollars. I don't know. A Subaru is 25,000. Which one's a better value? I don't know. Some people would say the Bugatti is more a better value at a million. I don't know. I don't know who's right. Bugatti has no problem selling their cars and neither does Subaru. So they seem to be appealing to their customer base in either case. Right. And so I always ask myself the question, is the value equal or higher than what I'm asking for in fees? And if it is, and we're charging a premium, that's called the obnoxious offer. And so I wrote the, I, I've been doing this forever, but I wrote the book to teach people how they too can be obnoxious. <laughs> I love this story. I thought you were going to say, you always drop the proposal first and come back later. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not doing that again. I learned the hard way, you know? So. So when does your book come out? Do you know yet? Yeah, it's pretty much done. It's It should be a fall or winter release, like holiday release. So that's what we're looking at right now. That's fun. So do you think of any ways how your book would change your business? How the book changed my business or how I would change my business now? Mm, how the goal of writing your book and having the book published changes. Oh. Yeah, so I... Uh, my very first book was a game changer. I had the chance to write, um, co-author a book with Stephen Covey and Ken Blanchard in 2007. I took full advantage of that. Uh, two people I really admired, I had the chance to work with. I studied under them, then I got a chance to write a book with them. This will be my 10th book. And books have, uh, yeah, a lot of, yeah. to me, books are meaningful in that it's a significant commitment. I, anyone, who's, you know, anyone who says, well, anyone can write a book. No, not anyone can write a book and not everyone does. It's a, it's a, everyone produces content. That's one thing, but a, a book's a book's a real commitment. And it says something to your audience that you are committed. You know, you got to do the research. You got to put in the time. There are no easy books written. They're all an effort, no matter how efficient you are. And I've got, I've got really good efficiencies at this point, but it's still a commitment. So it says something to the reader that, look, I took the time and my expertise and I had to, I had to step outside of my normal day in order to bring this to you. So it, it does say that there's a bit of a commitment. It does help you uh, help you uh, further validate your thought leadership. Um, because again, it's, it's not an article. I write plenty of articles. Uh, a book is more than that. And, and you can't just throw something out there. Um, it's got to be validated. It's got to be factual. There's research behind it. I mean, it's got to be original. And you do have to challenge yourself to take either a new slant on an old theme or, or come up with something new each and every time. And the obnoxious offer was a game changer when I learned it. And it is still, when I teach it to a client now, it's something that they haven't done before or didn't, didn't have the guts to do. That's the strap line. Make the offer that no one else in your niche has the guts to make. Because if you do, you'll separate yourself because everybody knows what the client wants, but not everyone has the guts to give it to them because of either the risk or the commitment or the inconvenience. So yeah, I think so it'll, it has, has really helped my business overall and will continue to do so because now I'm on book number, when I book number one, it was like, wow, you did a book. I'm on book number 10 now. So, you know, someone says, I got a book. I got 10, <laughs> right? So that's cool but that you wrote a book. And from a differentiation standpoint, you know, now having a, now having a library, you know, is, has been very helpful. Very true. 
do you think that there's a roadblock that's kind of maybe in the way of writing the book or hitting any of your other goals that you have? The hardest roadblock for me is that it's, it's the most important thing you have to do every day for six months. Right. And, and life happens and things get in the way and you have other projects and there's a whole other business to run that I've got to be part of. And then I'm like, Oh, that's right. The other three hours I don't have, I now have to spend on the book. And so I don't, I don't, in my particular, look, suffer from lack of content. I have plenty of content and I've got the outline for 15 more books. I just have to live long enough to publish them. <laughs> uh, the roadblock is the, the time it takes away from all of the things I'm already doing, you know, and because I still, I still am a business owner. I still am a, a an advisor and a consultant. Those are really my primary activities, whereas authorship is a secondary activity. So I'm trying to figure fit what is a full-time job into my full-time job. So it's mostly a time allocation. And I was wondering about that being kind of a big deal too, because you already seem like you have so much going on. So is do you have any tips that you can give us with what you do for your time management and time allocation aspects? Well, as it relates to as it relates to the book, I use a team approach and I, I record, I, I build a PowerPoint that's got 12 chapters in it, 12 slides. And there's, you know, three to six topics. And inside of that, there's a handful of questions for each one. And then I interview myself or I have someone interview me and I record those. So now I've got, you know, an audio companion, if you will. I have it transcribed. So now I've got all the text. I take all of that and then I engage a ghostwriter who then who then puts it into a readable format. Speaking a book, writing an article is different than writing a book. There's there's an art and a science to it. And true you know, you get somebody who truly writes a book, you're like, "Oh, that's how it's done." All right, I didn't, I didn't know that. And so there's a real craftsmanship to it. And so I've leaned more on team members when it comes to book writing. Now, on a daily basis, what I what I've done is uh, the two things that probably changed the game for me the most was the recurring appointment on smartphones and on all the platforms. And I communicate through my team, through my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, it didn't happen. If you don't put it on the calendar, you're never going to get near me. It's got to get on the calendar, as you well know, <laughs> as we had to, as we communicated that way. And the other thing is, is I, I now, I use virtual assistants and I use a, a team of 15 that help run the back office of my business. And I have it set up in such a way that they are, I, I've got 24 hour coverage. So when I end the day, I can assign a bunch of tasks that'll be being worked on or completed by 8 a.m. the next morning. And I assign tasks again in the morning that are being worked on all day. And so there's a series of things that are moving forward at any given time. And I, I use those two times because I feel like I can, I can get ahead of them. So at the end of the day, I'm setting everyone else up for the night, the two night shifts. And then I'll get up early and anywhere from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., I'm working with my team and setting them up for success for the day. Answering email or my, my DMs or my you know team chat uh, messages or my project management software, I'm, I'm distributing all those tasks and answering the things I need to do. And I could do that really quickly and efficiently 
when there aren't other distractions. And I found that has made a huge difference because then during the day, I can just do my job, whatever that is for that day. I could do my job without, I could separate running the business from doing my job. Yeah. Cool. And I'm sure that you have a pretty good system set in place. So if someone has questions or needs to talk to you, like they have a very specific channel that they need to go down. Right. Yeah. So the first 30 minutes of every day, they clear their inbox, right? Everyone, first 30 minutes of any shift, clear your inbox, understand what are the problems that you can't fix on your own. You escalate them to your direct, to your next layer, your manager. And that manager within the first hour of their shift, they know the, the problems they have to deal with and the problems that they can't solve on their own. So by 11 a.m. every morning, they are supposed to get to me what are the problems they can't solve on their own that they need my input and problem issue opportunity. Just that they need input, right? Feedback. Yeah. So I know from 11 to one each day, I'm focusing my time on understanding what are the problems of the day or opportunities or issues and what is our plan of attack. And I know that pretty much by every day on at one o'clock. And so that, that way the team has most of the day to be working on a solution. That's cool. Did it, was it long or hard for you to come up with that process? It took some time. My construction background really helped here because re regardless of what you're building, no matter how artistic it is and no matter or how you know plain Jane it is, you're building an assembly line. And that's what a business is. At the end of the day, when it comes to fulfilling the promise to your customer, it's an assembly line. People do similar things, similar ways. I, you have a great process for your podcast. It's, we exchange questions and I could see how you've got it locked in. You're building an assembly line so that we can, we can be creative and artistic and we can share, you know, here freely. Right. So construction taught me a lot about how to run any type of business because at the end of the day, I'm trying to build an assembly line. So every time that we solve a problem, if we can put a system in place, so the system or the process can take over and we don't have to do this again, then that's great. I mean, that's, that's what's helped me tremendously. So in all of your experience and everything that you've done, what would you say was the best advice that you have ever give, been given? Well, er, early on, I was, I was a kid at the time. The best advice was you've got two ears and one mouth, use them in proportion. I heard that one a long time ago, and it tends to be right, you know, most of the time. The um, one of the early advice I was given was get a financial person quickly who could tell you what you can and can't do. You've got all these ideas, but you can't write a check for every one of them. You need somebody to tell you what you can afford, what you can't afford, and then go from there. And you continuously ask that question. So I'm like, yes. I want to launch this product. Great. It'll cost you $50,000 to do it. And here's the campaign. And here's the marketing cost. I'm like, okay, I think I want to launch that product, you know, or I launched the product because I have the money. And I always want that financial person that can say, here's what's coming in. Here's what's going out. Here's what's left over for you to work your ideas with. And I, I, in my opinion, you, you cannot pay enough for that. And you can't overpay for that service because the cost of trying to fix financial problems, and I help our clients with it every single day, it just, it takes too long. It's too hard to get out of better for a bookkeeper. 
And the reason I do that is they understand the financial language very, very well. And they're always telling me what lame brain idea I have, whether I could do it or not. And what is the, what's the consequence if it doesn't go well? And what happens if it does go well? That sounds like a really good idea. Definitely, they would, that would be up their alley too, right? Their expertise. Sure. And they love it too, because they, they like to solve problems. And I say, well, here's the problem. I want to <laughs> do this. Here's what I think it costs. How much we got, you know? <laughs> And they'll tell me where, where it's worthwhile and, you know, and what I should be doing to make sure that I can sustain that over time. What's the best advice you've ever been, sorry, that you have ever given? Best advice I've ever given. I think, I think the most useful advice I've given people is that you can hustle your way to about a $5 million business, right? And so 98.6% of businesses will never reach a million dollars. Or sorry, 98.6% of businesses have 20 employees or less. 96% of all businesses will never meet, make a million dollars or more. Right? So for 96, 4% of the population, they already know what I mean. Like, yeah, I know. I got you. I hustled my, I busted my butt. I hustled my, my ass off and I got to a million. And in most businesses, you can get up to about five on hustle alone. Most people under a million don't realize that. Right? They you know, the majority of businesses will never make a million dollars and some are not designed to, right? Some will just never be that and they're not designed to be, but the ones that, the ones that can be and the owners that want to be, I think that's probably one of the most important lessons because I have observed tens of thousands of times people quitting right before they get to the finish line. They were so close and they either got tired or they got distracted or they lost focus, or they didn't believe in it enough, or they weren't really committed. And so they gave up at the, at the very end. That's why I wrote Biz Dev Done Right. And the, the book, Biz Dev Done Right, the word business development is spelt wrong. And the two words done right are spelt correctly because I've watched people even get it wrong, but still get to the one yard line and stop and then look back and like, oh, I was closer than I thought. And like, yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. And or they would come to me and say when we're first working with them and they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I was doing this, 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 and this. And then I'm waiting for like and then it worked. And then I'm like, yeah, and then I stopped it because it wasn't working. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You were so close. One more month, one more campaign, one more funnel. And you had it and you quit. You know, so. Because most people don't realize that there's a lag between the time you implement the idea and the time you get the result. And that lag, that lag time, a lot of people just can't deal with it. You know, like it drives them crazy or they, you know, they don't, they lose focus or they lose determination or their cash balance starts to <laughs> say hi, come on now, say hi, wave. Um, or the cash balance gets too uncomfortable, so they stop it. Do you have any like mindset tips or tricks or anything for those that might be like right on the cusp that aren't quite waiting long enough? Yeah, I, well, I like to help people prepare in advance. And I say, listen, our coaching together starts when you get uncomfortable. That's my job, right? The two most unqualified people in any business, number one, first one is a person who just got a promotion. 
right? Because their skill set in one job got them the promotion. But as soon as they started the new job, they're not qualified for that job, right? The second most unqualified person in any business is the CEO of a, of a fast-growing business, right? If they've never had a $5 million business and they're now $5 million, what qualifies them to run a $5 million business? The answer is nothing. You're not qualified. You've never done it, right? So you hire me because you're like, listen, I'm a half a million. I want to go to a million. First thing I said is, listen, it's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to get uncomfortable quick. We have to trust the process. If it's uncomfortable, that means it's working, right? And so the more freaked out you get, the more it means it's probably working. And so what we do is we will lay out what the road ahead looks like. We'll say, look, you have a lot of cash right now. Six months from now, you're going to be razor thin on your margins because you are investing all this money back into your business. Or you're going to have to hire these people a little bit before you need them. So you're going to have a bunch of salaries for two, three months, and they're not going to be fully you know, utilized. And you're going to be like, oh my God, why do we hire these people? Because growth is a pay it forward business. It's the pay it forward exercise. And you have to understand that you put the money out first, you're going to get the result second. I don't care what business you're in. That's the way it goes. And so I try to prepare them as much as possible. And then I play, I told you so. Told you, see? Yeah, you're nervous, huh? You haven't slept in a while? Good, good. We're right where we need to be. What do you mean? You know, but we're right where we need to be. You know, you're going to have kids. You're going to run a podcast. They are going to photobomb your podcast. And you know what? It's okay. As long as they come and wave hi and say hi. Can't come in and, and bother mom and not wave hi. Right. I don't I don't think they can hear me, but go ahead. She can't, not right now. But I'm trying to keep the screaming and yelling and crying to a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I have really enjoyed our time today, but unfortunately, time is always of the essence, right? Is there anything that you would like to share with us that we haven't touched on yet today? Well, I, you know, what I've learned is what I learned in my first two businesses that really wore me out was in business, you will exert more energy, more effort, and you will get more pushback than in any other thing you do in your life. So I'm, I'm not one of these guys that says you have to do your passion. I'm not, you know, just because you like to surf doesn't mean you have to have a surf shop, right? You know, that might be your, your you know, just because like the garden doesn't mean you have to start a gardening center, you know. But you do have to like it enough or you have to be good at it enough and appreciate how good you are at it enough to be committed to the process when you get all the pushback you're going to get. Because the path to your success is not an easy one. It's life without a net. And most people don't make it. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're one in 15 people just to start the conversation which means you have to find a room of 30 to find to walk into a room of 30 on average to find a peer someone who's another business owner because the other 14 are employees if you do a million dollars a year or more you're one of 4% of the population that means you are one in 600 people that means you have to walk into a room of 1200 people on average before you meet a peer that does a million dollars or more i keep saying a million because it really is a dividing line but if you think about it how many, room, how many times you walk into a room and there's 1,200 people in it? Not that much. 
not that much. So, so you have to be committed because it can be a very lonely endeavor and it's an, it's a very isolated position. So you really have to believe in it because it will suck your energy dry. If you don't, I learned that in my first two businesses, I couldn't figure out why I was exhausted all the time. Not because I worked hard, but mentally, I was just tired all the time. It's because I didn't really like what I did. It wasn't my thing. But I got into coaching and I work equally as hard, if not harder. And mentally, at least, I feel rejuvenated. I feel, I, you know, I get tired, of course, but it's just a different animal. You know, I could bring so much more energy to the party because I love what I do. Whereas I was dragging my ass through the other two, through the other two businesses. I did them more out of necessity than out of love of them, you know? So you got to at least like your, what you do enough to put up with the BS that comes with the role. There will always be that, won't there? <laughs> yes, there will be. But it's incredibly rewarding. If you love it, it's incredibly rewarding. It's, um, I wouldn't have it any other way now. And all of your past stuff that you've done too has like prepared you and molded you and shaped you for this job too, right? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we pull from our past experiences on a regular basis as a resource. You know, I've got my last year self and the year before self and my younger self there saying, come on, you can do it. And you remember what the way we did this last time? And, you know, so, or what were you thinking? Did you not listen <laughs> to me last time? Like, did I not say, did I not say this was going to happen? So there's plenty of, plenty of, uh, plenty of advisory board going on there <laughs> from past references to help me out. <laughs> well, Carl, thank you again for being here today. Where can we go to learn more about you and what you do? Well, best way to connect with me is on my personal site, Carl360. So C-A-R-L 360, Carl360.com. And uh, that's everything's all in one place. You can connect with me on social, email, text, my phone number's there, websites, uh, books, videos, and whatever works best for you. That's the that's kind of the gateway. That's the place where all my stuff is. So connect with me there and we'll we'll figure out what the next steps are. Fun. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and leave some love through a review. And I'll catch you on the next episode.